This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Kia ora everyone and welcome back to Creatively Wired. I'm joined here as always by Paul Bradley and today we have a very special guest, uh, an artist um, based in Otorohanga, um, Hiria Anderson. Um, Hiria is a, a, a painter whose uh, practice is focused upon uh, the everyday lives of people in her community and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. Welcome Hiria. Oh kia ora. thank you for inviting me in. So, um, just to kick us off, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, who you are, where you're from, and um, how you got started as an artist? Mm. Well, um, I'm from uh, Ngāti Maniopoto. My um, my mother is, and um, my uh, father's people are from Pio Pio, uh, which is basically down the road. Um, I was raised um, by, uh, with my grandparents in their house and, um, in Ōtorohanga. And uh, at that, that time, they were just finishing up working um, and heading into retirement uh, when, I, when I came on the scene. And um, so my grandfather, he was um, building a marae on the front of... Uh, of his lawn um, on his property, wow. and my grandmother um, took up weaving, and uh, she was weaving with Auntie Digris Tikanawa. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, um, their you know their artistic endeavours, their creativity, um, their networks um, of people who they worked with, uh, sort of took over their lives and. Um, and they were fully fledged um, artists, or you know, in Raraga and and um, in Fakairo and things like that, uh, well into um, my uh, my school years. So I was really uh, quite influenced um, by their creativity. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's an, a really amazing um, Fano kind of lineage and, and, and creative practice that you're um, able to connect into and, and draw from. Do you think that um, that you still kind of there, there is that connection between the arts practice of your Fano and what is happening in your own practice? Mm, yeah, uh, definitely um, more so now. It's sort of it sort of come full circle uh, because when I was just starting out in art, um, I I was uh, I went to art school uh, with Etwana Moaltiaroa, 
And um, I was really, really lucky to have um, James Ormsby and Eugene Cutter as um, as tutors. So with um, with James, I got a whole lot of um, you know the the history of art and and um, those kinds of teachings that it wasn't sort of. Uh, set in one kind of teaching we went all over the place uh, so I, t- I was um, looking at uh, surrealism and uh, then looking at uh, classical uh, work in paintings um, a different genre of paintings and so I was uh, I was out of my comfort zone from where I started and with my grandparents uh, with um, the traditional forms of Māori art, you could say. Mm. And so I was plunged into um, European art. And um, and uh, that was uh, kind of frightening, uh, kind of scary because I had never... Um, I have, I've got dyslexia, so I couldn't place these people who he was talking about um, into context because I had never known it. Uh, so, yeah, it was quite a struggle uh, learning learning about a whole other culture of art, um, but it stuck with me. So now um, I've been through uh, a few places of learning and so the development of my art was influenced um you know it came out of european art and back into maori art because i was i was uh quite strongly uh placed within tuana aotearoa so if i could backtrack a little bit this might sound confusing but i went through mainstream education as a dyslexic so i had a shit hell of a time mm. um, in, um, in mainstream schooling and that sort of plunged me into um, silence so I um, couldn't I had trouble learning and then sort of kind of got punished by it so I shut down mm. and so by the time Wananga came around it was a whole other way of learning mm. so I relaxed um, as a as a young adult, I uh, that sort of punishment um, went, and I could I was free to learn. So my brain was like a sponge, and I just soaked up everything around me, um, uh, particularly my um, my referencing my own um, culture and how uh, how it. Function. So I lived in it with my grandparents, and then I came out of it and was plunged into a Maori school, which actually taught me a few things about our history. Um, you know, from colonisation and land confiscation, because with, when I was raised with my grandparents, they were um, you live, you just lived your life, and I lived my life with my grandparents at the par, and there was I had no idea about politics. Mm. until I got to um, Wānanga, and then I learnt um, the truth about what had happened um, to our people across Aotearoa. Um, <clears throat> so 
you know, and then and then James came along and he influenced um, me again and introduced me to European art history. Um, <clears throat> so my art, <laughs> you know, I uh, I I throughout the years I I actually didn't know where I was going through with with James that the fundamental principles were there but I didn't know where I was actually going with uh, who I was meant to be as an artist, what I was meant to be doing. Mm. So I would see um, other Māori artists and political Māori artists, and um, and I was thinking, well, do I have to be, um, you know, do I have to... Uh, be forceful in my beliefs because I was quite, I was quite ready when I was when I started finding out the truth, mm. you know, about organisation or not, you know, these things. And I thought, well, is that the direction that I have to go into? So um, as a as an adult, I started painting these um, scenes that that um, of kind of like realism kind of stuff, but also trying to insert a, a, a Māori narrative or a forceful, you know, that we should fight for, you know, whatever was going down at the time. Mm. And um, and it sort of wasn't working, it wasn't fitting. So if the, if the, if the court was something about down, you know, Tūhoi, for instance, and I was really angry and passionate about that, as the sort of, I'm in the wrong placement, even-wise, to become commenting on someone someone else's tucky, you know, sort of kind of, yeah, different. What I was trying to do was sort of stalling and wasn't truthful to me, right. uh, whatever, whatever I was painting at the time. Mm. And it wasn't, fast forward, it wasn't until um, I got it. Uh, got into Whitecliffe to do my masters. Um, that they started unpacking um, everything that I was doing because by the time I got to masters, I didn't. I didn't want a bar of painting. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to look at something else, um, like um, you know, installational, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but when they saw my first painting, they said. Uh, you know, don't go anywhere else. You're a painter, and so um, that was the end of that. And they unpacked, um, they unpacked everything. Mm. Uh, uh, my practice, yeah, yeah, from there, which mm. was a real interesting and uh, amazing process to go through. Yeah, such an interesting story, Hidia, about not only finding your art form, but also finding. Your voice. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. And, and, yep. and, you know, literally as being able to speak through visual language as, you know, someone who, as you say, had been, had struggled with written language, but also, you know, that suddenly you learned about all the stuff that was really important to, to, to be discussed. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, definitely, definitely was. And, and it wasn't until I got to Wycliffe, um, that I um, that uh, everything that I was doing and bits and pieces, you know, 
the way I was painting, the style that, you know, I was interested in or what just it just everything just fell into place. Uh when I got to Whitecliffe. Um yeah, they pretty much um helped me to sort myself out there. Um I have um a tutor up there who was uh an instrumental in this and that was uh Noel Ivanov and uh he was my supervisor and um <clears throat> and because I you know, there was a lot of things that that went on with my learning, um <clears throat> that he had real patience with. Um, that was, you know, forgetting about the writing I still had to write. I still had to read, mm. um, but he would, um, he still had to send all the work to me, but then he phoned me and we talked through it all. And then if I needed to look at anything, um, he would give me the names or whoever, and I would go and look for audio visual information mm. to find out, um, you know, to, to really, and that charged our relationship because, he finally found out after two years of being there, he found out how I worked um, as a dyslexic. Mm. And then it was all on like a house on fire. Um, so um, we worked uh, really hard to to make sure that I understood um, the, the values of my practice because it wasn't until he came down to my place down in Otoranga uh, to my grandparents' house, and he saw the fare, and he said to me, uh, "Don't paint anywhere. Don't don't look anywhere else. Look at what's in front of you." Mm. And because I had lived there all of my life, um, you know, bar my teenage years when I went to boarding school, uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, look." look what's in front of you. And I had kind of taken it all for granted. You know, all my grandparents' work, um, my my grandfather's um, painted tuku-tuku on, on the wall. Uh, we've got a whole fuddy full of painted tuku-tuku. Mm. And um, I had lived, grown up with that and and um, <clears throat> taken it for granted. And at the time, he was so amazed at the different... Um, Eclectic uh, things inside the study that can easily be from the 1950s and the crocheted um, crocheting pillows and things like that up against the wall of Tuku Tuku and a basketball hoop that just happened to be in there because it was my nephew's <laughs> birthday. You know, all of these things put together, he just um, so he made me see um, see all of that again with fresh eyes, and I really appreciated that. So, um, so we honed in on 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 my practice that way. Mm. Mm, that's amazing, and it, it's so interesting how I think no matter where and how we grow up, it's very easy to take for granted, and and you know just think it's normal the things around us, and then. You know that that he was able to point that out to you is yeah you know, I love that story. Yeah, yeah, and so I didn't have to go, I didn't have to look national, nationally 
for my inspiration. And I remember him telling me, because, you know, one day something really pissed me off and I went into studio with, you know, this work and he said to me, you know, you don't you don't have to be shouty um, about these things that are um, that are making you angry. You know, you can you can um, have have quiet quiet words, mm. but everything can be seen there without having to um, shove it down people's throats. Or you know, not that you know, just looking at the way that just looking at the way that I was doing things, you know, putting it out there. And um, he, he offered me another way of, of um, offering up the work. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so. And that influence yeah. comes through really strongly, I think in, in the work, you know, that I've seen of yours, your painting is, it's definitely not shouty. It has often quite a, quite a gentle feel even. Um, but then when you look into the, to the meaning of it, it it's there's there's a you know there's a lot there there's there's sort of fire beneath the surface. <laughs> is, is... Yeah, well, that's the that's the funny that's the funny thing about my about my work, which was happening way before um, way before Whitecliff, is that no matter what I painted, even if I was <laughs> angry inside about something. Um, you know the the actual work is kind of silent or you know is quiet and and uh, I I laugh about that because um, how I think of things in my head and what I actually you know do with my work are, are two different things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I I can really see a power in that. You know, I think. Even if we think vocally, if someone shouts at us, it's very hard to actually listen to them and take on their perspective. Whereas if someone is um, a bit quieter, maybe a bit more considered, then I think we're much more likely to to kind of stop and listen and go, okay, so you know, what is what what am I being told here? Do you do you see your work in, speaking in that kind of way? Um, well, I think. I think that I've grown up with a quiet energy so that, uh, you know, I, I think back to, to the days where, I, you know, I got shut down that I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. You know, this, this, this kind of um, interview here is a feat um, for me. Mm. So I go back to then. Uh, I remember as a kid that I wanted to be an artist so I didn't have to talk. <laughs> it was all it was all expressed in in, in an artwork. Um, you know, when I'm talking about kid, I'm talking about a teen a teenager um, kind of thing. Before I got to art school with James, you know, it's just finding trying to find ways that I could hide without having to, <clears throat> you know, be out out in the public. Mm. But yeah. Sorry, I was going to Sorry. say, also, um, still talking, though, in a way, isn't it? Because you, there's still things that are being said. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it all comes down to energy because, you know, my mate, Margie, you know, her her, her work, you know, punches through things. Mm. The energy, um, when I see um, uh, Emily Karaka, you know, her work is really vibrant and punchy and 
and it's got that the energy that the person holds inside mm. comes out onto, onto you know, whatever canvas or sculpture or, you know, big, uh, who's that, uh, Cooper, uh, Richard Cooper, Richard Shortland Cooper, you know, big, huge sculpture in, in Auckland. Well, you know, you see the energy, the, the man that made that, you know, the physicality of the man, well, there you go, you know, it goes up and into huge sculpture. So, you know, that's, so this is me, um, this is my energy into, onto canvas, I guess. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, you know, I think important way to think about ourselves as artists as well as, you know, finding a voice that works for us. Mm-hmm. And obviously you've been on, on the journey that you described to get to that point. I'm I'm interested, Hidia, in how you so your work is very focused on painting the everyday lives of people in in your community. Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in how you connect that as an artist with these um, bigger questions and th- uh, the, and things that you have to say around colonisation and land confiscation and 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 these larger um, social and political issues. How, can you talk us through how those things connect? Yeah, yeah. I think um I I think I, I don't I don't look for it. Mm. Um I don't I don't go out of my way to seek a um a protest that <laughs> that I can you know that I can document and, and make work from. Um I I make work from wherever I am. Uh, and you know uh, whatever happens in my life, um, whatever happens to others that are around me, um, <clears throat> and it and it whatever life it takes on, it does. And sometimes I, well, I know it when I see it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So I can. Um, I'm just looking at a painting now of of my sister in a hospital room uh, where my mother went um, into for some for some work <laughs> and um, and there's politics in that there's politics in our house in Māori house and mm. and um, and that uh, that my work can speak to that mm. uh, but I yeah I don't I don't search for it, it it's it happens yeah. yeah, it's real. Yeah, and do you usually know at the time why you're needing to make that particular painting, or does the that meaning and that connection with these um, ideas does that sort of emerge afterwards? And you're like, oh, that's why I had to share that. Um, I I I do work that is um, that's ordinary, like uh, ordinary daily life. Um, that you could look at it and not think at all that it's Māori art, mm. and I and I like that too. I like that 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 balance because we do live our lives um, that way as well. You know, Māori plonked into you know twenty first century uh, life, and um, in my head, like I I don't want to position us as um, 
how do I say it, as a as a a warrior kind of symbolism type thing, typecast. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty conscious of that um, in in my work, mm-hmm. but I'm I you know I don't really at the same time I don't really think about that much. I just connect. I just connect people with. Uh, with scenes that they can that they relate to, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm experiencing. Somebody else might experience it. Somebody else um, that is not not ma- non Maori, uh, someone that might be over in uh, in uh, in Canada, you know, at uh, First Nations in Canada that, that might experience exactly the same thing mm-hmm. as we do over here as Maori. You know, sort of I can. Um, I want to, I want to be able to move that way, mm. but without typecasting, yeah, or mm. stereotyping us or anyone, anyone else, yeah. consciously. <laughs> it it seems like there's this kind of, I mean, there's the works that have that kind of silent power to them, and then there's ones that just sort of celebrate. The, celebrate life, celebrate the everyday. I think there's there's yeah. a few that I've, I've seen that are really beautiful around the connection between um, grandparents and children, um, like the, yeah. the the relationships between Fano and they're, yeah. they're beautiful and playful, and they just sort of radiate a a, a different energy when when you kind of see them in the collection. I think that. It, that kind of sense of connection with Fano is important as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and um, you know, I I don't know if you've seen one, but I had I had one of my um, a family member, and uh, her her legs were up the wall, and um, I don't know. Um, so, as kids, you know, you sort of lie back on a on a bed or a sofa and you put your legs up the wall mm, yep. and you wave them sort of from side to side, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Yep. Well, you know, and and that that is playful and fun and for for me it is um uh, showing showing that um of a of a girl of of age, you know, to be doing that is also you know, there's some issues around tapu and noa you know what women are supposed to do and what we are not supposed to do, and and those kind of things. So I've taken it from a from a, um, a kid, you know, or a young adult on her own, just sort of doing that because we kind of all did that as as kids. I ran my legs up the wall, <laughs> and then um, as kids. But then you've got this, you know, what would my grandparents say if? They saw that, you know, and saw it in public, and saw it in, in a painting in public, mm. and um, then those issues of what what Maori girls are taught, you know, to to not, you know, do certain things in in public, um, and there's tapu and noa elements to that as well that that I, you know, I place out there. Yeah, and so, you had know, they, have you had some interesting feedback on those sorts of things from your paintings? What was that? Sorry, I was just wondering if you have had some interesting feedback um, on those sorts of things. Maybe things that do. Oh, uh, only only from the only, the senior woman in in my father. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that, 
they sort of roll their eyes when they look at it, but, and I know exactly what they're thinking. Right. You know, I don't have to. I, you know, and then I, um, I get feedback from from other women outside, um, non Māori, who say, I, "I love this painting." You know, I, remember, I used to do that as a kid, right? And um, and the meanings for them, you know, are are, are truthful as well. It's a, it's yeah. a different lens, but uh, they, there's people relating to it. You know, from different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You're, you're true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And when you when you see some of these scenes, do you do you have a feeling that I need to capture that scene, or do you? Are you what's your process? Are you taking photos or sketching? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I use um, our technology of the day, which is the camera camera phone to take in um, take in you know what's around me mm-hmm. and I, I like it because I can do it quietly and it's not obtrusive of what what is happening I think the the, the for me as a maker the worst thing I could do is intrude on you know with you know a big camera in someone's face mm. um, so so I I like to to use that to get the material I need to to make work. Um, there's boundaries that I have um, that I won't go near, and there's others as an artist, as a Māori artist, I'm treating on a fine line. And um, in, in this day and age of you know of photography and and uh, rights to you know use a person a person's image, I'm um, treat, treating on a fine line, and and I've and I have to balance that. So, if there's something that I see with people in it that I that I um, totally must, you know, get their consent to do that, you know, I will. I have struggled with it, with that kind of, uh, with that, with with permissions. Um, but I I do have my, you know, sort of outline of what I must do. Um, tangi hunger and stuff like that, I need to, I find um, that I need to record a time of our culture that I will not go in uh, to grieving Fano and uh, positioning near a tupapapu, um, for instance. Um, that is quite off. But I in saying that I still need to uh, capture our culture as it's happening. I'm very co- unconscious. So yeah, it's a balancing, real balancing act mm. for me. I find mm. yeah, because there is quite a documentary photography type feel yes, about it definitely. as well, which is interesting. As you talk about it, these you know these sound like familiar things that I've heard from those worlds as well. Of like you know people I know who are photographer of like when is it okay to you know, to bring out your camera and when is it not okay, you know. It's, it's, it's yeah. interesting seeing that, those concerns brought into the world of painting. What was that, sorry? Oh, it's just, I'm, I'm just reflecting that it's interesting to see those same concerns, but in, but from a painter. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that I'm, um, I'm very, um, uh, I, yeah, I consider myself a, a documenting um, through through paintings. Yes, mm. 
Mm. And I'm using that. Um, I'm using the camera to to uh, gather that material um, for me. It's my own experience um, that I'm painting. I I need to um, be able to see, be in in the um, in the experience to feel it, mm. and uh, so, yeah, so from that, that's how I work. From that perspective, then. How, in terms of your creative process, is the painting that's finished a direct replication of the photo that yeah. was documented, or is there some yeah. artistic wiggle room? Yeah, yeah, I like, I like, um, I like to edit um, the photographs. Uh, maybe I can put. Uh, two or three together right. um, to to have a look at the um, to have a look at what the, uh, there's lots of things that I that I consider um, some of the basic things is composition. Mm-hmm. I look at um, when I look through the like when I look through the work that, that I've painted, I can see my style just through composition alone. Um, and the strength of that, so I always um, am aware of that. Uh, so that plays out. Um, I I do edit, so I take things out that are distracting, but uh, from the composition. Yep. Um, so I don't paint straight from, although I have, I have, but I like to see uh, see the work. Balanced in the, in the, I sort of, I sort of know what I'm after when mm. I go through. Like I don't take one or two; I take heaps. You know, it's, it's just like uh, heaps of photos of you know. And then I, I know that I, uh, the ones that I want, it, they just jump out at me, and then I start editing um, stuff out that I want to keep. Uh, the trueness at the same time. I don't want to edit it so much out that it loses why I, the reason why I captured it in the first place. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't want to work from that. But also, as a as a as a dyslexic, because I I've been through quite a lot of ways of making paintings. But what I am more in tune with, I um, as a painter, is oh, I just I've just lost it. Hang on, one moment. Well, I've just lost my train of thought there. <laughs> that's all right. We that, can, that, we yeah, can come, we can come back to it if it comes back to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like that that process is also using the strength of painting as well, because you know, otherwise, you know, so painting allows you to do that editing, um, whereas otherwise, you you know, maybe the the photograph would be enough, but the painting kind of shifts it into another space. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a whole history of you know recording, recording. Um, 
of of painting, and I I use the technology of the day to help me. Uh, mm. I'm that's what I what it is. I'm more at ease uh, with when I look at a look at a reference photo, and then I and then I paint, or I paint for real out, you know, plain air painting, and then I take it take it in. That's that's the that is part of me me as a, as a painter. Um, I've just I've just realised that my memory retention, you know, as as a dyslexic person, was shit from 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 even from a child. You know, I had real real issues with with memory sure. and I remember you know doing time tables was a, ha- a trip to hell and back for me because mm. everyone else could recite time tables in the class and you had to stand up and recite that and I couldn't mm. so it was like childhood trauma I'll always go back to <laughs> to the shitty time where I had to stand up and do time tables that I didn't even know you know I couldn't I couldn't recite so I, that is one of my strong points in my painting, is that I have a reference, and I really enjoy the hell out of being able to drill down on specifics in painting, and create my own, my own work from that. I mean, it's one point, yeah. It's just, I just really enjoy that, and and the most boring parts for me. Are uh, working a painting up from from just the bare canvas. So, so working you work it up until a certain point, and then you get to the point where you have to work in shadows, and uh, you have to work in um, to make you know something look believable, or mm. you know, and and all your skills and talents and observations end up on this canvas. And so from from a photograph, you know, you're even that, you know, because I, I hear um, in some interviews that I've done um, <clears throat> for for magazines and stuff, you know, they, they, without me even saying, they say that it's, you know, photorealistic hmm. because I'm, I'm taking all the specs of my camera and also transferring it, you know, into that's the that's the art of observation. You, you know, you've got to pick up all of those and transfer them into this painting, and you've got to uh, use your eye and building up um, with colour to make sure that you know it's sort of and and that that is um, my playtime. And uh, that's really interesting to me. It might bore the hell out of someone else, or they might, you know, they call me, you know, just painting by numbers. But that really, truly um, makes me happy when I get to that stage and I'm able to play with paint to make it look the way that um, that I want so want to. Yeah. So it's kind of constructing and reconstructing memory yeah. in a tangible way. Yeah, yeah, and that that aid um, that aid. Uh, suits suits me in the way that I see the world, see things, 
the way that I want to convey, um, you know, what what I see around me. Yeah. Because mm. mm. they do have a very special quality that you definitely wouldn't get from your, you know, from your camera photo. There's the, oh, the yeah, mood. Yeah. I can feel that the the mood must shift quite a bit once it becomes in paint and with your, you know, made with your hand. Yeah. Um, so in terms of your practical process, from mm -hmm. kind of beginning taking a collection of photos that you're going to use as source material to yeah. finished painting, what what yeah. is that? What what kind of time frame is that? Oh yeah, I can I can do work like um I can do work in it. It takes me ages. Um, I'll, I'll just, one moment, I'll just backtrack here. <laughs> so if I'm doing a collection of works, I um, can't, I've got to have about a year to work through them all. So I've got about 27 works here about to go to a show in Auckland. And um, <clears throat> they all vary in time. Um, I can... I could work on a painting in a week, and I'm, that would be the happiest, you know, time because it's just come, it's just revealed itself just like that, yeah. and I love it. Um, but it's not most of the time; it's not like that. So I've got to work up the background um, stages, and that takes time to dry. So I've got to start at the beginning of the year to get my background services. Um, ready um so and then i just throw them up in the wall of my studio and forget about them and then it's and, it, and then it sort of cures enough to put another layer on it but um all, and through all the different layers that they have um in the paintings um i still look at them uh, while i'm on other work and then i'm able to um, see what they need, sort of give them a rest. Mm. So if I hone in on a painting from beginning to end and fight with it all the way, you know, it's just going to end up a mess. Mm. So I just put them on the wall and um, work through them through the year. And so by the time it comes, you know, two weeks to delivery and three quarters of the work is finished and dried, you know, so I don't have to <clears throat> the worst thing you could do is rock up um, to a gallery with wet or damp um, oil paint. So <laughs> yeah. I start at the beginning and, and then work through the year. And by the time it comes, you know, for for the gallerist to say, hey, where's your work? Well, then I'm just finishing them all off mm. um, of the finer <clears throat> details. Yeah. So, so you're... Your process is always working on multiple paintings. So sort of oh, Im imagining definitely. a full collection and seeing the big picture from the beginning. Yes. Right. Yes, I do. And so my work is all backed up. So the images that I that I took and um, that are all on my um, external hard drive, you know, I'm picking them out for the next six months, you know, wow. or whatever. Right. So it's always sort of looking ahead. You're working on something, but also like what's what's coming up, so I can start yep. preparing for that. Mm. Yep. And do you ever get stuck, or have you, do you feel like you've just got 
infinite resource around you in Otarahanga? Um, I'm so grateful to Wycliffe that um, that they helped me with my with my practice. So I got to um, the beginnings of um, how I'm to work for you know to be producing work um, so that I can you know live off it or produce you know for for galleries and things like that. So I've had that. Um, I had that down and packed, but I in between that those times I I kind of go through bouts of a, I'm a shit painter, right. yep. <laughs> and you know oh, and all of my work is crap and I was useless and I oh my god what am I going to do and I and I I go through that, um, uh, and that can be as long or as short, you know, before something happens and I um. And I start producing, but the, when they when it's like that, when it's you know I'm a shit painter, mm. it is it, it's it's not a very nice place to be in. No, yeah. not at all. And and sadly, quite common for creative people, I think, to go yes, through those definitely. moments of doubt or maybe feeling like an imposter and all these sorts of things. Yes, yes, definitely. And and through each, you know, after each bout of I'm a I'm a shit painter. I go through um, a learning process of what to do to get me out of that quicker or how to set me up so I don't stay in that um, place for too long. You know, mm. one, one great thing that I've heard over again from, from artists that go through that is just to get into your studio anyway. Mm. Yeah. Even yeah. If you, and, and just even if it's just mucking around with something else that is unrelated to painting as long as you're in in the studio and cleaning up and sorting your shit out is really good too you know sorting up your cleaning up your studio mm, and preparing mm. it you know so when you do get the you know when you I've got to go to the studio you can go there and it's all ready to go and you don't have to have any doubt and you can just jump into your paintings and when you're in it when you're into painting you know, you you kind of think, well, what was that all about? And then you just carry on. Yeah, this is this yeah. is all very relatable for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I totally agree that sometimes just being in that space, you know, it helps to. Well, the worst thing I think can be when you build up a negative association with actually being in your studio. Um, but then I I think often we we can kind of trick ourselves into getting back in it just by just by being in there and you might go, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just scribble on this thing or I'll just prime this canvas and then yeah. before you know it, you're actually making work again. Yeah, and that, and that's all tips that I've picked up, you know, um, listening to other artists. So um, I I also, alongside my painting, I have a, um, a TV um, attached to my um, laptop and, and I listen to... Um, Blimmin documentaries, um, other artists talking, um, painters, um, what is it that painters talking about painting or something like that, that, right. um, that podcast and on Aussie. Yeah, I listen to, to all of that and, um, and hundreds of, you know, video, uh, videos, audios while I'm, while I'm painting. Mm. Um, and and that's a great help, and that's where I pick up all these little things about how to handle, you know, crap days and 
things like that. Mm. Uh, in a kind of bigger picture question, to you, what role does th th the artist have for a, a community or for a society? What what role does it play in your mind? In my life? Oh, in, in, in your life or, or just in general as a reflection? Well, I've got really good mates that are really out in the community and doing wonderful things um, for for community uh, arts in the King Country. And um, I really, really wish that I could be that vocal, <laughs> you know, as vocal. And as in, cause, you know, they, they're just so loved by the community because the, the art that they put out is for the people, you know, it's for... You know, and meanwhile, you know, I'm sort of, well, what I think, I'm not known in Ōtorohanga. Right. And so I can be quite quiet and secluded in my studio. And um, and so I'm not that community, you know, uh, out, out there as much as other people are. Mm. Although, you know, yeah. I love all of that, mm. uh, but I, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just in the studio, really. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you know, the the life of a of a painter can be quite solitary, but then your mm -hmm. work is out in the world, you know, and that's yeah. that's having yeah. an effect on people. And you don't necessarily get yeah. to see that as an artist, but that is people are seeing that, and it's sparking things for them, and you know, it's having that they kind of go out and have a life of their own almost. Yes, yes, and I love that. I love that part too because I, I dearly love people, and I and I dearly um, love conversations. And sometimes it's not so easy for me to do that. And that's where my, that's where I had the the plan when I was a teenager that I could be an artist and send my send my art into the world, and I didn't have to say anything. Yeah. And that was really, really naive of me. <laughs> well, no, you, you did it, I think. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, you know, my, my galera says to me, you know, no, you have, you have to go to the opening. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be out in front of people, and, and so I have to negotiate that. So I'm, I'm better than I was. I'm better than I was. Right. Yeah, but I still, you know, that's, I, I like that uh, that thing about sending, sending the work into the world out of, out of the studio, and then, and then you know, you have to let go of it, and then you know the, the narrative for that work takes on, uh, takes on its own. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because you can't necessarily control what people are going to see or what meaning they're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what you've got the show coming up in Auckland soon. Um, do you have any ideas in mind for what the next collection is? So, so I've got the the Tim Melville show on the second of December, and and then straight after that, uh, that was on that's on the second of December. Then I've got the fourth. Um, I'm going to be at Auckland uh, City Art Gallery with uh, a group of a, over a hundred artists, Maori artists. Wow, sounds amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. The, it's a, a survey of contemporary Maori art. Um, over a hundred and thirty years. Don't quote me because my brain is, you know, 
That's amazing. But it's, it's, yeah, and so they're doing this whole survey of Māori. So it's going to be 300, um, 300 paintings or, oh, sorry, no, no, not that. 300 artworks. Mm, wow. Of a hundred and so artists, Māori artists. So I'm in there with maybe 12, I think, mm. works in that show. So that's opening on the 4th of December. Right. And then in February, I've got uh, Tetuhi Art Gallery is doing a group show. So I've got some work going up there. So I've started that now. I was I was planning that work uh, while I was painting my solo show mm. and pre- preparing for that. So now I've I've stopped painting. So I stopped painting a month before before it has to go into the gallery. Yeah, Yeah, I stopped painting a month before and then I um, document them all Mm -hmm. and photograph and get them prepared to send them away. So when when I stop painting, then I start my new work. So I have to offer up um, seven paintings and three billboards. Wow. For for Tutuhi. And so that that's uh, that offer came in late. So um, so I'm gearing up to only do seven and putting that, um, giving that to them in February mm-hmm. or January, late January. Um, yeah. So there's lots going on. That's amazing. <laughs> You're a busy busy person. Yeah. And it's great to see you yeah. going into some of those you know very high profile um, gallery spaces as well. Oh well, yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is where this is where the other end of being at an art school that's so prominent, uh, like one of them, one of the art schools that um, that gets noticed with the work that goes through with the the artists that go through there, is Wakecliffe. So uh, there's no promises, but you know, people come in and see the work, especially when you do your finals. So I did my finals with a whole bunch of people. And um, one of the funny things is that when I did my finals for the exhibition, I everybody picked out their spaces, and um, I wanted the space that was right down the back, <laughs> the back of the of the shed because it's a huge place. And so I asked them, "Oh, well, I'll, I'll have this one right at the end." And so when we got to the blimmin time to you know put it the final the final um, plans. Um, they switched the the front end to the back, so the back became the front. <laughs> and and you know, that was that was that was sprung on the end. Um, you became was the star. Fun. It wasn't funny at the time, but it ended up being funny at the end. Yeah, yeah. And and so yeah, I had a good um, I had a good a uh, lot of people that saw my work. Tim Melville was one of them. Right. Awesome. And then it took about uh, four years. Um, of doing little bits and pieces uh, till um, he said I got to have a solo show with him now. Mm. So 2016 to now is um, what we've been working towards um, for a show, yeah. But I think that's real, um, you know, that's real testament to the, to to lots of hard work and also consistency, you know, you've, you've really honed in on 
what you want to do and what your voice is and then you've worked in a consistent way building up that body of work. So I'm sure that's what really helps to make those opportunities happen as well. Mm. Um, we're coming to the end of our time. I've just got one one final question for you. I'm just yes. interested to know, because you're working so far in advance, how do mm -hmm. you know when a work is finished? Yeah, um, uh, I think there's lots of ways to tell. You know, I get excited when I see something that is uh, coming through uh, pretty early and I know that it's going to be good and I can see work that is just, I know that it's not and, and I haven't even reached halfway through before I let it go uh, because I can't afford to spend time on it. So then I leave it and I've got a lot of work in my studio that I've just left and then I'll either pick it up uh, or I'll um, I'll get rid of it, or I'll just bury it somewhere in my uh, on my long term stuff that, that um, I might pull out in in a few five years or so. <laughs> Surprise yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or never, you know. And and I treat my studio as uh, a science lab that, and I'm pretty pretty um, when I'm making work, like when I'm in for a solo, or, you know, the solo show or Whatever. When I make a group of works, I keep everyone out of my studio because um, I I like silence and I like to consider the work on its own. So I don't like any distractions or anyone else's input mm. uh, when the when the work is um, being made. And uh, when I'm finished, when I know that I'm finished with the work, I take it from the studio and I put it in the in the main house mm -hmm. in our main house and where other people will see it. And so when when I finish, take the work out of the studio. It doesn't go back in. It's ready for um, you know to go to go outwards. Awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to yes. hear about your work and your practice. Um, thank you. Mm, thanks, Celia. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM. 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.